Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from a suburb of New York City and an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? How's it going, man? Another season in the books? I know. I know. I was, uh, you know, you get nostalgic at the end of seasons. You start thinking about, you know, all that's that's happened over the course of the season. We will, like, I, I guess I, I was going to ask this question later in the pod, but I'll just kind of give you my preview now of just kind of like our general thoughts and feelings on the season. Uh, I will say that I hated this season. Yeah, I know that. I hated this season. And I'm not even saying that because Tottenham finished sixth. Like, it's, it's not Tottenham's birthright to finish top four. I can handle a season of them finishing sixth. It's not even that. We'll talk later on in the podcast, but I hate to say it because I love this this sport and I and this is my favorite league, but the season was just the worst. It was the worst. That's fine for you to say that. I obviously have different feelings. Well, yes, of course. But, I'm trying to I'm trying to remove all personal club bias right. when I say that. It's sure, not, it's not even a Tottenham thing for me. We'll sure. talk about it later on in the podcast. We have a lot to get to. Obviously, the final day of the season, um, it solidified all that needed to be solidified. So we'll go through top four and relegation and how it all went down. Um, MLS is back, rolls on. We know half of our quarterfinal teams. And by the time you're listening to this, you'll know even more. Um, sadly, we're going to be on during – like we're, we're not able to tell you what happened in the um, Seattle LAFC match. Like that would have been – like that would have been a great final or semifinal. Unfortunately, it's around a sixteen. But I know, but it's just the way things are. There's quite a lot of football all of a sudden for after months of no football, and it's 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 hard to find the sweet spot. But if we want to talk about the Premier League, Andrew, tonight's the night to do it. I think. Of course, of course. Uh, congratulations to the Houston Dash on their win in the NWSL Challenge Cup. We will mention that. You've got a nice mailbag here, which I'm looking forward to. Um, a little a little bit of lower league football appears in the, the mailbag tonight which yeah is- a little bit of a mention and uh we'll also have a brief look at what's going on in the efl playoffs after leeds united went up we talked about that last week and also west brom the boing boing baggies are back but there yeah. are playoff games to discuss too yeah yeah props to fulham with a little two nil today so we'll mention that as well that's always every american fans number two team um how are you by the way i haven't i feel like you know we had that that period of time in the beginning of all this where like we asked each other every week how we were doing but I feel like we've gotten away from that. And I, you know, you and I, we text all the time and we talk all the time, but it's always, what are we talking about? We're talking nonsense on yeah. text message. Uh, how, how are you? Not great today. In a bit of a, a bit of a rut today and a bit of a funk, uh, a little bit of a anxiousness and anxiety about the future and, and all those things. And uh, trying to keep dark thoughts at bay. Um, we're not, as most people know, and, and certainly our international listeners will be aware, you know, we're not in a great place right now here in, in the good old USA. And uh, yeah, just a little bit worried about the future and, and the things that are happening. But yeah. I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's people listening to this who have the same thoughts and concerns about themselves and their loved ones. I think it's important almost for people to hear it, um, that almost to remind them that, you know, you're not alone. Because you know what I have found? Because like you, like I was, I was probably where you are a week or two ago, just like down, you know, in my head and just like down on stuff. It's a couple things. One of the problems is, you know, I go on Twitter and you just see people like 
you see like unrepresentative fun, you know, like somebody will, will do something that looked really cool and awesome. And you're like, well, why am I not doing stuff? Like, am I wrong to just like still be shacked up in my house and afraid to be going out? Am I like being too cautious here? Like, why do I see all these people like having fun? And I haven't had, I feel like I haven't had fun in months, you know? So you start like getting in your own head about that stuff. And you just like, you know, you, meanwhile, you're in your house, like, and for you, you're in a a small apartment, like, you know, constantly. And it's, it kind of, it all gets to you. The walls are closing in and it's just like, and then you see figures of numbers rising in certain parts of the country. And like, you hear conflicting stuff about vaccines and it's just, you know, you just think like, where are we going? You know? And it's, uh, you you get in your head, man. It's Yep. You you sure do. And look, the future is never promised, pandemic or not, but for sure, the the anxiety is just at a level of being so heightened that it, it impinges on your every day. But look, I will say this, and I've consistently said this, and when we get to the mailbag, it's going to be mentioned by other people. This is an oasis in the week. Let's go to the oasis, Andrew. Let's crack open some coconuts and drink on some tropical juices from within. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm trying to be relaxing. No, I don't feel relaxed at all. I, I don't know how to crack open a coconut. Should I know how to do that? I, I don't I don't think it's juice. I think it's milk in a coconut. Now I'm confused. Do I, do I really know anything about coconut? What about the splinters from the coconut? What if a shard should should rupture my cranium and breaking all of these it? Things. Uh. In the year 2020, all of these things are possible. Let's talk about the final day as the Premier League comes to an end for the 2019-2020 season. Let's start with the, uh, the top four race. It was essentially billed as a... Um, the Champions League playoff match between Leicester City and Manchester United. It really was. Um, and 2-0 it goes to Manchester United. It will be them taking part in the Champions League next season and not Leicester City. The restart, as we have talked about for Leicester, was it was just brutal. I mean, it was it was it was awful. But even amidst all of that, they still had this chance on the final day where they essentially controlled their own destiny. It was a win and end situation, uh, but it was not meant to be. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I do think it bears repeating again um, that as as an unbiased, neutral observer here, it, it's almost hard not to feel, at least for me, some sympathy towards Leicester City because I do believe people are going to jump me on this, but I believe that on form of your, of their best eleven versus whoever's best eleven, to me, Leicester City proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were one of the three best teams in England this year. Um, but depth matters. It's part of the game. Injuries are part of the game. Suspensions are part of the game. So you can't rule that stuff out. Um, but like, I'm looking at Leicester's lineup in this game that means everything to them. You know, you, there's no guarantee they'll be back in this position again next year. It's for clubs like Leicester days like this are promised to nobody. And, and I'm looking and I'm like, this is just not, this is not the team that got to this point. Sure. Jamie Vardy is out there and there's, you know, there, there are good players still on the pitch, but like, you know, where's James Madison? Where's Ricardo Pereira? Ben Chilwell's not out there. Uh, so you, and I always say his right, his name wrong. So you, so you she, so, yeah, the <laughs> so Turkish you, lad. Yeah. He's not out there. Like this is not, this is just not the team. And unfortunately that's who they had to put out there on the final day. And, and I'm like, I didn't even mention it last week. I was, my memory was jogged by a person who tweeted at me that like Lester lose to Tottenham three nil the week before. And Ryan Bennett is playing center half and he's awful. Yeah. Or, I mean, he's just 
he's having a nightmare of a game and Harry Kane has owned him. And, and next thing you know, you blink your eyes and they've lost three. They're down three at the half. And, and this guy who shouldn't be playing is out there. And it's just, it's part of the game, but it's just like, damn, that's, that's just a tough break at the most important part of the season. When like everyone used the break, these that four month off to get healthy, it seemed like Lester just like their injuries only got worse. Yep. Injuries have been a part of it. I will give you that. I'll grant you that, Andrew. Uh, we had Andy May on as well. And he felt, though, that it's since the turn of the year, since they were in second place, maybe even since the beating that Liverpool gave them on um, St. Stephen's Day, Boxing Day, that really set them back. Um, but I, I've been pondering this and I've been pondering it because, you know, we do a rundown and uh, you you just put such a great question into my head. Uh, you wonder where Leicester go from here. Andrew writes, and I've been pondering this over the last few days and particularly today, and I really don't know what Brendan Rodgers can do now going forward. Andrew, I'm reminded of the tale of Icarus. You're familiar with Icarus, right? Of Daedalus fame. Yeah. Icarus flew too close to the sun in an attempt to escape Crete, the island of Crete. And in a similar vein, like Brendan Rodgers exceeded expectations early on which was probably the worst thing that could have happened. So I want you to play a little imaginary game here, Andrew. Let's think. Imagine how we would view Brendan's first full season and Leicester's finish if they'd been in or around Wolves and Sheffield United for the majority and ended up in fifth. Oh, the perception would be completely different. Right. We'd be applauding We'd be applauding a really great season and a solid start for for Brendan Rodgers and for Leicester. Instead, Brendan Icarus flew right up to second place before the sun melted his wings and he fell to the rocks below. And now Leicester know that it's Leicester as a club, Leicester as an organization, Leicester as a fan base know it's more likely than not that he can't do that again. United are going to be stronger. Chelsea are going to be stronger. City are going to the door slam shut on those kind of teams like the, the Wolves and the Leicesters, we think, more than likely. So what now? What well, happens now? Like well, it's, it's everything, they, they they signed James Madison to a, what was it a four year or it seems like they're going to sign James Madison to a four year contract. Yeah, I mean that's that's massive. I, I can't express how important that is. But if you, yeah, but you're you're kind of holding on to the idea that when Brendan Icarus was up climbing up near the sun, that's where he should be. When in reality. Brendan Icarus was better taking off, going down the beach slightly, just just floating above fifth or just below fifth place and then landing and saying to Daedalus, the owners of Leicester, see, we're doing okay now. Everything's going to be through the prism of that fall from second place, those melted wings. And, and, and I think that's the issue. Well, I will say this. He can still go to Daedalus and say everything is okay because he can do what I did. Like we talk about injuries as reasons or excuses. He can go to them and say, look, you saw how good we are when we're healthy. I need more in in reserve. You know, Icarus fell to the, to the earth because his wings melted. I need another set of wings that I can throw on my back for when they start to melt. You know, like, look how, look how we were second. We were battling. We were, we were the contenders with Liverpool. And then guys started getting hurt. So like he can still go to them and spin a certain narrative that all is not lost, that this is, that is... What you saw is who we really are. Leaving this Greek analogy just for, for one second, even in, in the first half of that game, there was a moment, or there was a few moments, I, I want to say, I think United came really into it prior to halftime. 
but there was a, a portion in the middle of the game that was really Brendan Rodgers. Andrew, they were passing the ball. They were moving the ball well. And then there was this run. I think it was from Ian Acho. And Pogba just lets him go. He can't keep up with him. He torches past Pogba. And suddenly he's in front of the goal. And it's gaping. And all he needs to do is keep his composure and get his shot off low and hard to the corners. And he just flubs his lines. He, he scuffs the shot. And De Gea eventually, he, he, he flubbed his lines too. But he made the save. And I kind of summed up Leicester for me. And it's not really Leicester, but Brendan Rodgers. Andrew, there's so much you look at Brendan's, Brendan Rodgers' teams that flatters to deceive. They're neat. They're tidy. He's already, he loves, you know, technical players like Coutinho and Madison and Tielemans. He likes these kind of players. And he said, I think earlier today, or, or, or sorry, yesterday, he said he wants more technicians at, um, at Leicester. But ultimately, they, they even with Vardy, like the Premier League's Golden Boot winner, they, they're just, they don't have that cut and trust. He, his death by football, his, his attractive style of play. Let's go back to the game at, at, at Old Trafford. I watched that game, Andrew. They like owned the ball. They had a ton of chances and they never made it happen. Like they, I just feel like we've, we've hit peak Brendan here. I know, I know what he did at Celtic, but that was expected. And it's the Scottish League. It's not the same thing. I think we've hit peak Brendan, and I'm not sure if Leicester, if that's going to be enough now. We have to see. Peak Brendan meaning this he, level of he has them at he has them at fifth, and they can't be better than that. I can't think. I can't. I just can't see it. Mm. I can't. I don't, know, I don't know if I agree. The only reason that I might agree is because there was clearly a window in this year to do it. With right and it, with clubs and, like United and Chelsea and Spurs and Arsenal all in this period of flux, um, so in that sense, I get what you're saying, for sure. Um, now let's look at the Manchester United side of this. You know, in terms of where Leicester go from here, what about United? Like, it's interesting because for months now we've been hearing about Manchester United making this grand push to sign Jadon Sancho. But like, talk about putting the cart before the horse. You think Jadon Sancho was going to go to Manchester United if they don't even qualify for Champions League? Like, they were making all these proclamations for months, for months while they were sitting fifth and sixth on the table. Well, well the like, only they, got it. they must be like, oh, good thing. Thank God things went the way that they did. Now we can actually do the, all the plans that we had written down. Don't forget the variable there, Andrew, that you've left out is that United can pay wages to players to entice them to come, even though they're not guaranteed Champions League football. We have seen that in the past. Yeah, they but, are, but they'll be competing against other clubs for him that can also pay high wages as well. Right. But in terms of England, there's only one team that can challenge them, and that's their neighbours down the road in terms of the really big, big wages. But you're right. Um, this is huge for United as a club in terms of revenue and also, like I said, in terms of the salaries they pay, they they need the revenue of the Champions League. They've got to be in the Champions League. And um, Solskjaer was, I wouldn't say he was bullish, but he was, he was a very pleased man at the weekend. Now, there's work to be done. I think, uh, I think me and you have in the past not to go over all ground, but there's a few positions we're not so sure about. Goalkeeper and centre-back, still an issue which is, I, I I would imagine Solskjaer had thought when he took over that job, one position that was solidified was his keeper. That's not the case. He's got a big call to make there, to stick or to twist or what does he do. Um, but yeah, look at the, look, it's turned out really well for them. They've, they were slipping into our preseason narrative, which was that there was just this mush below the top two city in Liverpool 
and it was so fluid and in flux that anyone could pop in there. And we even thought maybe Wolves or Leicester could be the team to unseat one of the traditional powers there. For United to 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 get in there, to sneak in there, to stay, to to get back in the Champions League is huge. It it really is. They're not going to be a hundred percent in terms of transfers moving forward. However, I think with what we saw, like let's be honest, this team is just not where they are if it's not for the the move to bring in Bruno Fernandez. Like, but you know, between him and Wambasaka, like I, I think we now at least temporarily need to retire the narrative about Manchester United and you know irresponsible buys and you know swinging and missing on on Di Maria's and Alexis Sanchez's and all that stuff and, and uh, they those two signings in particular have been so brilliant for them and those two players like they're they're not in this position if it's not for those two guys and their young players United more than almost anyone right now I feel like has a kind of a rosy view of what the future could look like uh, yeah uh but again, I do think they'll need to do more. They'll need to replace Matic. And they will. They will do more because it's Manchester United and they can, especially now that they're in the Champions League. I guess so. Um, let's see. So, yes, congrats to them. Uh, and then JJ Chelsea as well. A a rebuilding season, essentially, ends with a Champions League berth for Chelsea. Was not always pretty at time. I, I referred to them as maybe the league's most confusing team this season. Um, but in the end, they do they do enough. I mean, like even this past weekend against Wolves, it wasn't always perfect. But they just had like one spell, yeah. one one three minute stretch. Uh, not to go too deep on like the specifics, but the second goal, the Giroud goal. Mm. How does he even get to that ball? I don't know. Was it Connor Cody? Yes. Go- it was See, Connor Cody. Connor Cody's good. He must be. Because he comes over maybe his left shoulder to barge him out of the way and get the ball. Like maybe Cody's, I mean, he should be fully aware of what's happening. Why hasn't he just like slid through the ball or swung at it to get it out of there? I don't, I don't really understand. Um, but look, Chelsea, Chelsea is really interesting because you're right. They've had 12 defeats all season. There's been times when they have not looked good. They've got, they've got enormous issues. And uh, Frank Lampard had dropped um Kepa or Itzabalaga previously in the season and ends up doing it again for because he can't trust him in the final game of the season to ice things. Again, very important that Brendan Rogers, Leicester didn't get the win that they wanted in this whole in this whole makeup of the Champions League. Um but but that aside, just just focusing on Chelsea, they're bringing in bringing in Kai Havertz, Pulisic's there, established. Is Havertz is that official? I was listening to a journalist today on a podcast who's reputable, who believes it will happen within the next few days. Oh my God. Yep. On top of Werner, on top, on top of-, of Werner, Pulisic, um, they'll have decisions to make because they'll have to move some players out as well. Ziyech but as well, right? Hakim Ziyech is there. Um, yeah, we're talking, going- about, we're talking about Manchester United having a, a rosy looking future. I mean, Chelsea's Chelsea's has to look pretty good as well. I would say the one thing for Lampard is for, to whom much is given, much is expected. So he's going to have to organize that. It can't be a case of just pegging them all out onto the field at the one time. Sure. The, the other issue as well, we've seen how bad they are in the center back position and even the full back positions. So you're going to have to move on some players, look at the defense and 
Are they really going to face an entire season with Willie Caballero as number one? I wouldn't think so. It's a fair question. Totally fair question. You know, more than I, I think uh, of all the teams in the league, with Liverpool being the only exception, um, I, I think if you had given Chelsea, like, this is how your season will end, you will be, uh, you'll finish top four for cha- qualify for Champions League, and let's say they go on and win the FA Cup, and, and you'll hoist an FA Cup trophy. If you had given them that at the beginning of the season, I mean, in a year where they've lost Eden Hazard, they have a transfer ban that they're that they're dealing with. They have a, a manager in Frank Lampard who doesn't really know this league yet. Um, I mean, my God, they would have they would have they couldn't get couldn't get yes out of their mouth fast enough. I think if you handed them that scenario, it, it's worked out very well. And um, but you know, there's still questions to be answered about Lampard about. I mean, the way he organizes defense, the way he sets up this team with the new players that he has. A lot of, we, we didn't really get a chance to talk about the Chelsea-Liverpool game, but I there was some confusion, like, why is Pulisic not starting? Well, he had a knock. He definitely had a knock, but he's good enough to come on. He did not look in the, in fact, he played angry. Yeah, he he played on the edge. He he was magnificent, and and you question Lampard there. One thing he's actually been pretty good at over the last stretch has been substitutions. I remember the substitutions where he subbed out his entire midfield in the FA Cup semi final, and then brings in this whole new midfield, uh, experienced midfield to go to go after things. So, but but that caused people to raise their to raise uh, eyebrows. Um, yeah, it's going to be. I'm still not convinced by him. A lot of questions, but you you really in in the way it finished up, you can't have asked for a better finish for Chelsea. Not really. No. no. Uh, the biggest drama of the day probably was what went down at the London Stadium. Semi drama. Well, I mean, the final five minutes of that game were were probably the most tense five minutes of any game played. But you were still you were still looking. You were at London Stadium, and you watched Aston Villa secure their fate with a goal from Jack Grealish. And then you saw immediately afterwards them unsecure it with one of the freakiest goals you're going to see. So I wanted to ask you a question about the Yarmolenko goal. Yeah. So it happens, it goes in, mm. and Pepe Reina gets up and he just loses it on someone. He's screaming at someone. Yeah. Who Who is he yelling at there? Right. Who could he's, he possibly be mad at on a, he, on a ridiculous goal like that? He's yelling at the gods for being 38 <laughs> and for his legs being a little bit too stumpy. It, it was if, if people go back and look at uh, Peter Shilton conceding in the World Cup semifinal in 1990, Paul Parker comes out to block a German free kick. It hits him square in the behind, loops up exactly like this goal and is in the space between the keeper's outstretched hands because he's backtracking. And the crossbar, the, that area you can't get to if the ball loops like that, which it rarely does. When that goal happened, JJ, I had like a like a p uh, a post traumatic stress disorder, like a PTSD flashback. Oh. Omar Gonzalez, yeah, <laughs> the same weird loop. I know. By the way, you you can't manufacture these. These are freaks of nature. And Pepe Ren is just shouting at. The, he's howling. He's like King Lear on the heath, just shouting at the elements. Because I mean, yeah. he's got to show. Oh, by the way, goalkeepers always have to blame someone. Somebody uh, yes, else. I just want to. I wanted to like kind of talk to the TV and be like, "Dude, who are you mad at?" It was. This is sometimes like weird stuff just happens. Like, what? Do you by think? the way, his his madness was not long lived. He again is the king of celebrations. Do you remember in the 2010 World Cup, like all the videos? This was really before 
everyone was sharing everything to social media, but drips of stuff were coming out. And the Span- he's on the Spanish bus in South Africa, having not played a second of that World Cup. And he is the leader. He is the party man. He is like one of the... Uh, who was the main guy off Jackass who was at the center of every party? Was it the... What, party boy? Chris Pontius? Maybe it was. Chris Pontius, yeah. Doom, doom, doom. Yeah, party doom, boy. Doom, doom, doom. Yeah, party boy. Chris Pontius. Same thing at the weekend. He was in the in the locker room going absolutely crazy, as was everybody else, but he was leading leading the party. Two things about that. First, before the party began, maybe my favorite image of the weekend was so it goes full time and Villa seemingly are are safe. And that's what you're thinking, because you know, we've been you've been monitoring the scores of all the other games going on, and you know, Watford still need two goals and they're deep in stoppage time. So it's over. Like Villa are safe, but so the camera goes to Dean Smith and he's like, I'm expecting to see him hugging his staff and, and, and he refuses to even smile. And I'm thinking, what is his deal? What's going on here? And then like you, all the twists and turns of Villa's, you know, going down and like the way this season has gone for them. He's so conditioned, I think, to expect the unexpected, the Yarmolenko goal that had just happened that like, he would not, even though Watford were clearly not coming back to win that game, it was over. He yeah. would not crack a smile until no. he had finally had someone officially say to him that that game was over. Like, but Andrew, oh, that's the fact. Wired differently, man. Well, he is wired much differently, as is Jack Grealish. Uh, but Dean Smith, in particular, Dean Smith is Villa to the core. His his dad, who passed away during the coronavirus pandemic, his dad was a steward at Villa Park. You know, the fact that, you know, there's just a connection to the club. So to Dean Smith has got that thing where he treats it, you know, you know, like a fan. Imagine the final play of the, like the Super Bowl. Like e- even after Philadelphia went ahead of the Eagles, you were like tense as anything, you you know, because you're, because the fan always imagines oh, the worst it. case scenario. While the ball was in the air on Tom Brady's Hail Mary were probably like the six most nerve wracking seconds of my sports life. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and so Dean Smith inhabits that that body. It's funny though because there's this narrative, and they were talking about it in that on the broadcast, like in that span of time when Villa were waiting, like you saw John Terry, like with the earpiece and just waiting for the official word. And they're talking about how with Villa, you know, they they've come to expect the unexpected, these negative twists and turns um, that have hit them. And yet, I don't think a Villa fan can ever complain again in the rest of time about fortune and Lady Luck not being on their side. Because once in, in recorded human history has goal line technology failed. And that one time was enough to keep Villa up when it happened in the Aston Villa-Sheffield United match after the restart. It's the only time goal line technology has ever not worked. It's the perfect technology, except once. I mean, to me, this now goes up there. If you talk about great phantom goals, like... Or, or or non-goals, I guess, in this case. Like, it, it's up there with the, the Thierry Henry handball against Ireland. It's up there with the, the Panama phantom goal to get through the World Cup. Lampard against Cup. Germany. Yeah, like this is now, this that moment has to, like knowing now that that was enough to keep Villa up, like that has to go into that that category. The ghost goal, at Ant- the ghost goal in the 2005 Champions League semifinal for Liverpool. Oh, Luis Garcia? Yeah. Yeah. All in there, man. All in there. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned, by the way, the celebrations. You you sent me a text message of Roy Keane, 
Incredible. Can you describe uh, for the people what, what is happening? There's no point playing the audio because it's, it's such a visual thing. So they've got the camera, the Sky Sports are there, and it throw uh, Dave Jones, the presenter, is talking. And in studio is Roy Keane and Mika Richards, the former Aston Villa and Manchester City player. And so it, it, all we can see is them jumping up and down, live in, 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 in the Villa dressing room. They're so happy. And Dave Jones sets up Roy Keane. Wonderful scenes here in the Villa dressing room. Roy, you couldn't begrudge them. You couldn't. Could you, Roy? Could you begrudge them that? Of course he begrudges this because of his just insane wiring and standards. This is never going to be okay. So they, they throw to his face and it's the, a face of just contempt for what he's seeing. And meanwhile, obviously knowing Roy well, having worked with him, across the, the desk is Mika Richards who is laughing. It just bursting out laughing in almost incredulity at Roy Keane's response to this. Again, it's further evidence. This isn't an act. This is who he is. Oh, he would no, look at- I, I almost think that this is further evidence that it is an act because this to me is the, might be the most ridiculous one yet. No, I, I honestly think this is a guy who, after he gave up drinking towards the end of the 90s and became this unbelievable machine, professional, churning out uh, championships for United, captain of United performances, he hardened his soul to the person who just lives in the moment. He was always looking ahead to the next one and the next one and the next one. And um, and that's just who he is, man. I'm convinced I of it. So. I will say there is, there's always a, a very, very small part of me that finds the visual a little bit strange to be celebrating finishing 17, like being the fourth worst team in the league. But it's also, it's not what, it's not, it's, um, Relief, I'm convinced, having played support, uh, sport a little bit, relief and celebration are, are brothers. They're absolute, they're joined at the hip. When you win, half the time, it's a relief feeling that that's over and you've done it. Yeah. And when you stay up, can you imagine what that relief level is? That's the, that's the thing, ultimately, is that the pressure that they were, that they had been faced with over the last several weeks really of the entire season but truly it the pressure crystallizes in the last several weeks of the season when you know you're part of that relegation race i mean it just must weigh on these guys every second of the day right uh, and so to kind of sneak through with a, a tight win against arsenal and then a, a game like this where you think you're safe and then a crazy goal from west ham and you've got to sweat out the final few moments and and you're worrying about results elsewhere and it's just like the, the stress of that on a professional athlete, the, like this job is, it's, it's a fun job that these guys have, but it's a tough job and it's a stressful job too. And I think you have to find moments along the way to celebrate. I, I agree with you. And and think of this, Andrew, um, think of say a player like Connor Hurrahan or excuse me, Connor Hurrahan, who was at Barnsley up until 2017 and tweeted out in 2017, how we dreamed of playing in the Premier League and just got a list of people saying, mate, you're a good player in the championship, but you'll never be there. And he finally gets to the Premier League at age 30, 31. And, you know, he's, he's going to want to stay there. There's no guarantees Conor Harun is picked up by a Premier League team if Villa go down. You know, he probably goes down with the ship yeah. and his dream's over. So... Yeah, you can't. Um, I don't think you can police joy in the way Roy thinks you can. Right. Uh, meanwhile, for the joy of Villa, there is the despair of others, namely Bournemouth, 
um, who did their job against Everton, but it really is the definition of too little too late. This all felt for me, um, Watford go down too. their downward spiral culminated in, in relegation. Um, they'll always have that Liverpool game, I guess, which was the aberration to this season for them. But uh, with Bournemouth, it, it felt particularly harsh just because, not to be overly dramatic, but they've kind of been like, like a, kind of a fun story over the past several seasons since coming up. This tiny ground that they play in, but this yeah. really th- this entertaining brand of of football where they're they don't care who the opponent is, they are going for it. You know, and, and at times it bit them because it left them exposed at the back. But but at times we enjoyed it so much. Remember the four one against Chelsea last season. Remember Brooks ripping it up, Ryan Fraser. They passed the ball. They moved. Yeah. They played out from the back. Yeah, and it just felt like like for all the good that we had seen from Bournemouth, that they had kind of you almost felt like they had established themselves as a as a mid table side. The one year where they take a step back and bang right back down. This league is harsh, man. This league is just it's harsh. It's very tough, and they look to the Southampton game where they go one nil up, and VAR rules out that um, their last game, I think, at the Vitality. VAR rules it out, and. Um, that would have been an equalizer. That would have been a precious point. And then Southampton go down the field and make it 2-0, you know. So uh, it's been probably been coming for a while. We've talked at least three times on this podcast in the last year about their signings. The signings haven't been good enough. If you're gonna if you're gonna stay up, you gotta get a lot of them right. They did not do that. And um and that's where they are. And uh you do feel for them because they were they were a nice break. They looked like they very much looked like a championship club competing at the top table for sure. I, I personally would be surprised if we don't see them come right back, but you don't know how the squad could get pillaged. Like the know, champ, there's no way of knowing you go down there and it's nothing. They're not guaranteed, but, but they're I, not I, look, a big... I, I look at the manager. If he stays, I don't know what, where his stock is at right now, but, and I look at players that I suspect will still be on that team. Uh, I, I gotta believe that they're going to come back. I, I think you're being incredibly naive about a club of that size. I think if we were talking about Villa and the money that's behind them, I would feel more like they can go again. It's tough, man. You go back down in there and you kind of get sucked into it. 46 games, Saturday, yeah. Tuesday. It's a, it's a tough league, man. Can I just talk briefly about um, Watford? Uh, this was from Troy Deeney, who, who was very candid as per usual. Um, this is what he said afterwards. The club from top to bottom will need to do an audit. Because sacking three managers in one season means we haven't got it right. Something went wrong. Is that managers? Is it players? Is it ownership? We need to audit that and go through it all to see what went wrong. So kind of strong words there, especially asking the question about an ownership, which... uh, And he also claimed... um, uh, Dini, obviously, he he was pretty explicit saying it's not good to have three managers in the season. He also came out and said he's been playing through injury and needs a knee injury or knee surgery rather right. in the coming weeks. So, a uh, few other notes from over the course of the weekend: uh, Jamie Vardy wins the Golden Boot, twenty three goals for him. Obama Yang comes in second with twenty two. Danny Ings with twenty one. Raheem Sterling with twenty, and Mo Salah round out the top five with nineteen. Meanwhile, Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, 20 assists, tying a league record with Thierry Henry. 13 goals to go with it as well. What a season. One of just three players with double-digit goals and assists. You want to try to name the other two? Double-digit goals and assists? Yeah. Only three Ooh. guys did it this year. Uh, One of them I, I already named. Yang. No. No. Go on. Tell me quickly. 
Mo Salah, 19 goals, 10 assists. Oh, and Son Hyung-min with uh, 11 goals and 10 assists for Tottenham. Should have got Salah, wouldn't have got Sonny. But um, yet again, we're here saying what a, what a good player he is. Oh, Son? Sonny. Oh, yeah. That, that, those numbers in a, in a tough year are outstanding. Can we go briefly back to Jamie Vardy, Andrew? Yes. Made a huge error. So Leicester City tweet out that Jamie Vardy wins the Premier League Golden Boot, becoming the first Leicester player to do so. And I just decide, I'll tweet to our followers who who are listeners who know my little tics, they know my little kinks, so to speak. And I hate the idea that anybody places football within the context that it started in 1992. Gary Lineker won a Golden Boot he shared it with Chelsea's Kerry Dixon in the 83-84 season. I'm uh, sorry, 84-85 season. And um, and so it's it's technically not true. This is less, not Leicester's first golden boot in the top flight. So I but tweeted that out. They didn't say top flight, though, in their tweet. No. They said but, in the Premier League. But I, let, I, I ignored that because <clears> I'm thinking... It's going out to our followers. That's fine. Our followers know my my little proclivities. My, they know my weirdness. Gary Lineker liked it. And thus, Andrew became the walk of the dead, the ice king, and his minions slowly trudging through the snow towards my mentions. I got a lot of tweets from England, or I woke up to a lot of tweets from England, Andrew. Some of them were not very nice. I'll but put it that way. Here's what I don't understand, though. A lot here's- of people with British flags in their uh, in their Twitter bios. One guy saying uh, who gave me quite pointed abuse. He uh, in his bio he said how he was divorced twice, which was an interesting thing to add. Does he think he's on Tinder? Um, but yeah, it was um, it was one where I had to mute the replies. Now I will say this. In terms of the battle, Andrew, the battle, you know, because that's called, there was a, last time I looked, there was at least 185 replies and 22 retweets. That's that's called being ratioed. However, in the like column, there was 1,800 likes, which I would think means I'm winning in the smallest way possible. Here, two things about it. By the way, you never actually said what your tweet was, did you? Did you read it so people actually know what it is that you wrote? Yeah, I thought I did read it. Oh, okay. Um, Hold on. Let me read it. Oh, let's just see. Hold on. You're making me go through the, the horror again. <laughs> I just um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not really. Uh, so Lester, I, I retweeted, comment tweeted uh, Lester. Not really. Gary Lineker was joint boot golden boot winner in the top flight in 84-85 for Leicester City. But, you know, whatever. So two things about that. Um, by, by the way. Yeah. I would say it's 60-40, 60% people disagreeing slash giving me unnecessary abuse slash 40% saying, well, didn't you know, being sarcastic and agreeing with me, didn't you know that football was only invented in 1992? Yeah, so that's what I would have guessed most of the responses would have been. I'm surprised, well, it's Twitter. I should never be surprised that someone no. says something and receives vitriol for it. I will say this, when I saw that you tweeted that- um, You rolled I, your eyes. I rolled my eyes so hard I, I was worried that they were that they were going to get stuck. That I was going to need some sort of surgery to have them brought back so I could see again. Much it like was, it was just such. Ugh, you're that guy now. Even you, it, there must have been a part of you looking back at the tweet that was a little bit disgusted with the person you've become. You're that guy now. 
Oh, I, I, but I, I was playing to our crowd, our gallery, and, and what I didn't reckon on or happen on was 7 million followers being activated by uh, old Biggers himself, Gary Lineker. So you're, you're like Oscar in the office. They call him actually behind his back. Well, wow. actually. Actually, yeah, that's you. Like, you're mine. That. I hate that guy. <laughs> but you, you become him. On Twitter, for sure. Oh. I, I am well, actually. Uh, let's see a couple other things here. Tottenham's strong finish to the season is enough to get them into the Europa League, which by the way, for them, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm being condescending to that. Um, that matters. And I was fully invested in that. Happening. It matters because I look at them right now and they're, they're not a top four side. And I don't necessarily see them being a team that makes the investments in the transfer window to compete with the likes of Liverpool City, Chelsea, and United with where with where they're headed. So if Tottenham want to root back into the Champions League, I mean, for me, the Europa League may very well be their best shot. So, uh, like, you can you can laugh at that all you want arrogantly, but no. like, I, I do think it's important for them to be playing European football, and I will enjoy those games. The more they're playing, the better that is for their fans, and you know, fill that new stadium. You get some marquee games uh, late if you advance late in that tournament. So I, I was actually invested, gen- genuinely invested in that. Yeah, no, definitely. After you've played Alania, Vladi Kavkaz, Aberdeen, Sligo Rovers, you and, are uh, you're just for, honestly you and you, Floriana of Malta. Yeah, then you get the marquee game. It, it, it's hard to be friends with you. You're the same person. You're such a raging hypocrite. You're the same person who counts Liverpool, Borussia Dortmund in the in the Europa League as one of the greatest matches that you've ever seen, Champions League or or Europa. It was the quarter final, uh, and I I just said the latter stages of the tournament. You animal, Oh. Uh, Kane scores again over the weekend. Andrew goal finishes with 18 on the year. Fantastic. Tottenham are, go- Tottenham are going out to Tavries and Firopol in the first round. <laughs> um, I will continue to ignore you because you are, you're, you're as arrogant as your manager. That's what you are. I feel like I want to be Frank Lampard shouting at you or, uh, who was the other person that I saw? Andreas Pereira. I just saw from Manchester United talking about how arrogant, um, Ber- Virgil van Dyke and Liverpool are. Cool. You you've fallen right in line with with your club. This is why people feel the way about Liverpool. They do. People like you. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Jan Vertonghen. By the way, played his final game for the club. He announced um, on social media. It, it was known that it was coming. But you know, this guy really was was like a bridge between eras. Yeah, he was. Uh, Three hundred fifteen appearances for the club, and you know, we talk all the time about center back pairings and how like even the best teams. Um, they like even when Manchester City were winning their titles, like we talked about, you know, is Oda Mendy really good enough? Like, you know, there were concerns. And with Tottenham, it was an entire era of Vertonghen and Alderweireld where you were just like, okay, well, we're good there. Like, there's other stuff to worry about, maybe, but like, you never, you never worried about that center back pairing through all those years. So, what a great player for the club. And um, you know, on the pitch, I don't know that he'll necessarily be missed anymore. It seemed like he had kind of fallen out of favor for whatever reason. Well, unfortunately, but- the manager uh, decided, uh, how can I expose my aging center back? I know, I'll play him as a wing back against Burnley. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's not the only time that Vertonghen has been played out there. It's the... Um, it's Pot it's the- it against Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League last year. It's the equivalent of me taking you unprepared and putting you in front of a stand-up comedy audience, taking you to the cellar and throwing you up there and me going into the audience and shouting, be funny. I'm just exposing you. I'm always prepared to do stand-up comedy. I have a, right. a bit ready every every second of the day in case that happens. By the way, uh, David Silva says goodbye to the Premier League. 
Uh, it should be noted, however, he is not finished with Manchester City just yet. There was like this kind of he got like a standing ovation from his teammates. There was no crowd there, but he he's still like they're still in the Champions League, so his time with Man City is not quite over. He could have a few more games should they continue on. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, JJ, where he ranks among greatest Spanish players to play in England. I think you're you're trying to choose between. Uh, he's he's in this maybe I, I would put it down to three: Fernando Torres, Cesc Fabregas, and David Silva. That kind of triumvirate right there. That for me would be the. No, there's others, obviously. Oh yeah, there there are others, but but I, I think I think you're doing Torres a bit of a favor, including him. I think it's Fabregas and Silva. Well, you've got to you as a cut ahead. I think you're forgetting Torres's impact. I'm not. In those early seasons and those goals, and uh, and Fabregas is ahead of Silva in terms of. But, but, but like, think about the length of time in which Silva and Fabregas did it in the Premier League, where Fernando Torres does not have that longevity of success. I know, but like he came in, he was a he was a bright shining light in the Premier League, and 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 um, you know, and then that bulb exploded. Well, it did, but I mean, he still spent the the best years of his career, his peak years in England, Andrew, between between Liverpool and Chelsea, whatever way you cut it. Um, there was voices of dissent, though. So, if you ever get the Sky Sports videos on YouTube, you see a lot of Graham Souness, and one of Souness's kind of refrains is that David Silva is probably the best foreign import into the Premier League everywhere. Ooh. And um, yeah, Ken er- Ken Early. Um, takes issue with a lot of the pundits and there are a lot of pundits in England who believe that is the case and uh, he wrote this in the Irish Times today I thought it was a good piece it's blindingly obvious that Silva is nowhere close to being the best Premier League player or the best overseas Premier League player or anything like it it's absurd to pretend he was at the same level as players like Thierry Henry Cristiano Ronaldo or Luis Suarez Frankly, it's bordering on insanity to claim that he is better than his teammate, Kevin De Bruyne, who has contributed two goals or assists every three league games during a City career, compared to Silva's one goal or assist every two. A fairer question would be whether da- uh, David or Bernardo is the best Silva at City. Oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but I, I'd urge people... I, 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 don't, I mean, De Bruyne is one thing. I don't know that I'd say he's been better than Sergio Aguero if we're talking about foreign imports. So No. No, but um, but again, you want to see the praise for this guy. It's effusive, Andrew. They are not short. There's a lot of people, including Roy Keane yesterday, who called him a little magician and said, Keane gave him this praise. There's lots of players right now I'd love to still be playing against, but he's not one of them. Hmm. He would have turned me inside out. I mean, that's that's high praise, so there's going to be some pushback even against that. Yeah, we'll see what's next for him. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of MLS talk. Uh, Inter Miami, we, ho- yeah. we, we we at one point we, we we were told that was nailed on. Yeah, so we shall see. Um, speaking of farewells, Leighton Baines says goodbye not just to Everton but to soccer in general. Yes, four hundred and twenty appearances with Everton. Carlo Ancelotti said uh, they'd like to keep him with the club. I'm assuming as some kind of assistant coach or or something. Um, one of the most beloved players at that club of this era, maybe of any era, uh, given the length of time that he was there. Sure, so, kind of one of those moments. Silva as well. Um, where I found, you know, we've said this all throughout the the restart in these empty in these empty stadiums, um, and you know these these two guys who were beloved, who were longtime uh, greats at their clubs, um, not being able to get the sort of ovation that I'm, you know, every great player I'm sure 
as their career is winding down, has that moment where they kind of envision in their head what it will be like to hear that applause for the last time. And it kind of kind of bummed me out seeing you know David Silva, um, Leighton Baines saying goodbye in, in empty empty stadiums. And I'm you would sure ex- they'll, they'll get their due at some point, but it's not going to be the same. You would expect they'll have them back at some point, but you're right. They should be able to go out in their own terms. Um, and Leighton Baines at one point in terms of prime fullbacks in England was was head and shoulders above a lot of guys was huge calls for him to be an England regular and England mainstay. And I think right at the end on the border of his late twenties, early thirties, he got a, a few injuries, Andrew, and it kind of, it took the juice out of things. Uh, Adam Lalana goes back to the South coast, but not to Southampton. Did you see that? No, he's gone to Brighton. Really? Yep. Gone to Brighton. They announced him today across social media, looking quite snazzy in the blue shirt. And speaking of blue and white shirts, one of the most experienced, if not maybe the best centre half in the world, heads for Zenit St. Petersburg as Liverpool also bid farewell to Dejan Lovren, Andrew. So there we are. Uh, speaking of Liverpool, JJ, their extraordinary season ends just shy of uh, its what was once a record-breaking pace in terms of points. Uh, still on a high note, though, they beat uh, Newcastle. I don't have much to say about that, JJ. I did... I do have to mention Jordan Henderson winning the FWA uh, Player of the Year, Football Writers. Yes. Um, I don't know that uh, – look, I'm not going to get hysterical about it. Like, you know, we make a big deal out of awards. A lot of people got hysterical about it. Well, here's what I'll say. without Again, without getting hysterical, uh, I will never agree with this. I'll never under really understand it, to be quite frank. Um, I, uh, I would almost so, go so far as to say it kind of cheapens the award for me. Um, but, unbelievable, but you know, like, uh, like here, let me, the, to, let me explain it to you. A leader or captain of the best team in the league to me is not, it's just not enough to be considered the best player. Like this is an award for the best player in the league and yeah, he's not it. He's just he, not like, he's not the best player in his He's not the best player on his team. I would at uh, in March or, or in February, March uh, direction when we start thinking about these things. Um, I I would have had uh, Sadio Mane. I would have had Trent Alexander Arnold. Definitely. Um, but I think what solidified this was a number of things, and we'll get to one of the things in the mailbag. But when Fabinho got injured, it was a huge worry for Liverpool fans that th- the wheels were going to come off somewhat. And Henderson slotted into his position and led the team from there. And in many senses, there's a a sentiment, as someone pointed out to me on Twitter, about this award. And it's a sentiment we saw in the PFA Player of the Year Award in 2008-2009 when Ryan Giggs, at 35, and only starting, only completing 12 12 games of, of the full 90, he got the award. And it felt at that time with gigs, it was like a lifetime achievement award. And I feel as if Henderson has come so far as a player in terms of nearly being let go by Brendan Rodgers to go to Fulham at Liverpool in terms of the constant criticism he's got throughout his career. Um, I think that was played a huge part in this. And I'll deal with the other part in the mailbag. Well, I mean, then then I'll just have to change the way that I look at this award. I, I can't, like, if that's how it is, then I can't, then people just have to stop looking at it as the there's, best player in the league. There's more to this as well. And there's some obvious things to this. And we'll get into that in the mailbag because someone's right. asked us a question about that. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess to wrap on this, we will, 
I mean, we would be doing the people, uh, speaking of awards, a major disservice, JJ, if we didn't wrap up the season probably next week with our uh, Devonlings, which we do at the end of every Premier League season. They're going to be a little bit, a little bit different, a little, little bit more on the low budge, I would say, uh, as opposed to the, Devon, the, the grand affair that you are tr- typically treated to. Well, I've canceled Billy Crystal. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah every year, you, you, Billy Crystal is like your go-to. It's interesting. Um, no, no, no. We're, we're shopping in like the Andy Dick aisle. Oh no! In terms of hosts this year, oh yeah, uh, but yeah, we'll have our our every year we do like this uh, a fun award show at the end of the season. So we'll probably have that next week, um, and then I guess to wrap before that, like what I teased at the start was just your your final thoughts on the season. Like I said, uh, I hated it uh, for for a few reasons. One, the title race was was kind of over in like November. Uh, the VAR debates were exhausting mm. and infuriating. They were not fun. Um, the impact, of course, of, of the coronavirus um, on the season, yeah. um, empty stadiums, like those will be the images that, that, will, that will last, that will define this season, are, are empty stadiums. I mean, it was just, it was so depressing. Um, and then, like I said before, I was trying to wipe bias clean from this conversation, but I will say this. Uh, with with regards to Tottenham, like I said, them finishing sixth, it doesn't like it bothers me. I want them to be better. I want them to finish top four, but it doesn't bother me in that like I don't expect it. I know that I know what Tottenham are, and I know that they're not going to be a top four team every year. It's not even that. Obviously, a, a manager that I loved, Emerzio Pochettino, lost his job. Um, th- but the Jose Mourinho stuff, much like VAR, became for me so exhausting and so fun sucking from the season. And I'm not even just talking about you, like our arguments, although you, my friend are, are prime suspect number one, but I, I'm also talking about just like going on Twitter after a big Tottenham win and just seeing like other Tottenham fans and other like guys who host Tottenham podcasts who just like are refusing to allow Tottenham, other Tottenham supporters to enjoy it. Like beating Manchester city, beating Arsenal, hammering Leicester at the end of the season. Like, going on Twitter after these games. And it was just like people too angry about their style of play to enjoy these wins. And like, I'm not saying that they're not entitled to their opinion, but I am saying that it certainly sucks the fun right out of what should be big fun moments. Uh, So like that whole thing, I I don't think I was ever truly, I knew, I know what Mourinho brings to a club, but until he's your manager, you don't fully know what it's going to be like. And the, the way the fan base, um, was polarized around him it really it was it was not enjoyable it was not enjoyable you recounting how you haven't enjoyed this season is really worse than than anything i've heard this is you are my god seriously you said you wouldn't start whining and you you started whining i don't think whining i don't think this is whining i think think there's a lot of people that feel this way that this was not this was not a, a season that non-Liverpool fans will look back on fondly. Well, I thought we were going to just take it as read that we wouldn't talk about our clubs. So I'm not going to but mention... the Mourinho thing was too big of a storyline for that not to be mentioned. As, as a, That was one of the major storylines of this season, him coming back yeah. to the league. So I, think, yeah. I, think, I think the thing for me, Andrew, was that um, those below Liverpool and City, they struggled as we predicted, but ultimately the old money are... I suppose at this point we can call Chelsea old money in a way, yeah. but the old money teams 
did it again. They get the seat at the big table and the kind of, I guess, outsiders we were hoping for in Wolves and in Leicester and latterly Sheffield United didn't make it. And that's one of the kind of one of the the disappointing ends to the season for me, to be honest with you, outside of my obvious joy at bridging a 30-year gap. And look, I'm not trying to to temper your joy, but I would think that this was not like with the, the pandemic impact, like this was not the way you, you envisioned a, a full Anfield singing. You'll never walk alone. And like, and it's, it's tough but I, I've, to get that moment. I've adopted our manager stance on this. What can you do? We're in it now. Right. No, you're That's right. the reality. I know, but I'm just saying when you envision this stuff in your head, this, this is not like, it just didn't go the way anybody had, had planned. But look, the fact that they, it could have been worse. The fact that they finished the season and there were no serious illnesses, um, you know, the, it seemed like they did the right things to ensure players' safety and managers and, and staff members' safety, which was what was most important. We got the end of a season that we, for a long period of time, didn't know we were going to get. So small blessings, like take that uh, as a win for this season. Um, Before we move but, on, yeah. Um, one thing I didn't envision was I could have envisioned Jurgen Klopp winning the LMA Manager of the Year Award, which he did. Um, I never thought I'd hear... Sir Alex Ferguson talk like this. Jürgen's fantastic. I speak about Leeds United 16 years in the Championship. Liverpool 30 years since winning that week. Uh, incredible. And I really thoroughly deserved the performance level of your team was outstanding. Your personality went right through the whole club. I think it was a marvellous, marvellous performance. I'll forgive you for waking me up at half past three in the morning to tell me you'd win the week. Thank you. But anyway, you thoroughly deserve it. Well done. Wow. Jurgen Klopp drunk dialed Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. That's pretty cool. I, I should tell you also, um, I went back today, actually, and next week during the Devunling episode, I went back and listened to a, and recorded down all of the predictions that we made prior to the season. Oh boy. Let me just say some of them are horrifying. Oh, it's just why. I, I, I remember mine with fondness. Do you? And you're remembering wrong. Me too. I mean, both of us, but you are remembering incorrectly. I think I got a lot of things right, friend. <laughs> I think you're in for a surprise then. Uh, so that's the Premier League. Um, uh, like I say, even though I say that I'm upset that it's uh, that it was a season I hated, I'm still genuinely upset that it's over because um, it's, it's a thing to look forward to, uh, especially since the restart every single day, it felt like. Uh, let's see, JJ. So that is ended. MLS is back. The tournament continues. Um, talking about some of the teams that have now won in the round of 16 and are into the quarterfinals, Orlando City, Philadelphia, NYCFC, Sporting Kansas City, all into the quarterfinals. Uh, a couple things I wanted to mention on this. We, I've said this, I said this earlier in the tournament. I will say it again now. We are the first to make fun of MLS goalkeeping when it is bad. So how dare us not mention it when it is good. Andre Blake has continued to be a star for the union. Looks like he has refound that level um, that had him as goalkeeper of the season a few years ago. Um, And in a losing effort uh, for Vancouver, the performance from their third string keeper was uh, Thomas Hassal was unbelievable. Uh, Sporting Kansas City, uh, not all of these were on target. Sporting Kansas City took 36 shots and did not score. <laughs> uh, they ended up winning on penalties. Even in penalties, though, Hassal saved a penalty. Some of the saves he made, it was it was amazing that th- this guy was third string. 
just like a week ago. Um, so j- delivered back-to-back shutouts for Vancouver since he came on um, and did all he could to try to get them through to the quarterfinals, but it was just not quite enough as uh, they do go out on penalties. But, man, un- unbelievable stuff a, in a position that we don't always heap praise on in this league. It's interesting you mentioned goalkeepers because in last night's key game, uh, the Eastern battle between NYCFC and Toronto, which NYCFC came away as fairly, I would say, very convincing winners, yeah, actually. Definitely. At least three of the four goals, the goalkeeper, Vesterberg or Sean Johnson got a touch on, at least. But I uh, actually want to heap praise on NYCFC okay. and also go back to a familiar theme. So the first goal, Andrew... Tinnerholm with this lovely across-the-body pass to Medina, who buries it under Westerberg. The second goal, brilliant ball from Morales. Probably the ball of the campaign of, of this whole tournament, the MLS is returning to Cup tournament, uh, where he kicks the ball over his head into the past of uh, Castellanos, who cuts inside, finishes well. And the third goal is the goal that I know you're going to roll your eyes at, but it's for all you Michael Bradley haters out there. He gives away a pass in the center of the park straight to an NYCFC midfielder. The ball gets spun out to uh, Mackay Steven, who crosses it in. And guess what? Michael Bradley isn't alert. He's not tracking Maxi Morales, who breezes in and acres of space and fires home. Double Michael Bradley shame alert. Not a proud moment for the Michael Bradley fan club. No, not a proud moment for us who've even defended him. But yeah. look, we got to take our, uh, you know, we got to take... The hits, Andrew. We defend him in the good days. We gotta def- we gotta call him out in the back. Yeah, um, that was like you said. That probably was the marquee game. Great win for NYCFC. Just funny how like perception of a team can change so quickly in a tournament structure. Because I mean, they really had. I mean, let's be honest. Their group stage was. It's not what we know them to be. They are, they are underachieved. They barely got through by the skin of their teeth. And then they go out and they play like that against Toronto, a team that we thought were equipped to win this thing. Like, But doesn't, doesn't it show you about tournaments, especially 2014 tournaments where you can be bad and just you just hope you're not the worst of the bad and you can sneak in. Right. And they, and they snuck in and look, they've got Medina, Maxi Morales and Haber. Haber's little flick on the third goal, uh, the second goal was, was awesome. So um, look, yeah. Uh, they can now roll on, and, and anyone who thinks they aren't in with a shout of winning the whole thing is is wrong. No, and it's we should say about Toronto, tough break for them to lose uh, Ayo Akinola, um, given the brutal been in. I mean, he had been probably of all the guys that I've seen so far in this tournament. I don't know if I've enjoyed watching anyone more than him. Um, the next I want to hear from that guy is declaring for the U.S. Men's National yeah, Team, right? Please, um, yeah. And like in the end, it's funny. In the beginning, we talked about Josie Altidore. And, you know, the hope for Toronto that he, his form would kind of be like ready for him to make an impact as Toronto were ready to make their push and win this thing. And unfortunately he never got on the field until they were down two nil with just 35 minutes to go in the game. So like he never even really had a chance to make an impact. So I guess, you know, whatever, whatever his fitness level was, it just, it wasn't quite, he just wasn't ready to go. I thought once they got to the knockout stage, we'd see more, especially with Akinola not playing. Um, but that's a tough break for Toronto. Like I said, Seattle LAFC is tonight. Um, I'm bummed that we won't have a chance to break that down because um, the way the form that LAFC has been in without Vela is is sensational in attack, and Seattle is just that constant, uh, especially in this kind of format. Um, JJ, with this tournament, we it was almost prophetic 
I think the way uh, the question was posed brilliantly prior to the tournament about whether or not a bad showing in this tournament, which we at the time weren't sure exactly how seriously to take it, if that would be enough to get someone fired. And you and I, we we had agreed that no, probably not. But it, it's we we didn't say it wouldn't. We said it shouldn't. Okay, right. That's fair. We said it, it's legitimate to to have it be a strike on someone's record, but it shouldn't in itself be enough to get someone fired. However, uh, Atlanta United FC would beg to differ. Frank DeBoer, I, I saw the headline. I was like, I don't know. For some reason, I was I was shocked. And like Atlanta fans would probably tell you, you shouldn't have been. But I just didn't, I don't know, I just did not expect one of the stories to come out of this tournament would be a manager losing his job after a bad performance. I, honestly, if I was to pick three managers that I felt were on the hot seat, I would have picked either, I think, Savarese or really? Ronnie Dahlia as as on a medium. Ronnie like a, Dahlia? Yeah, on a warm seat. Been there for a week. Yeah, I know, but the the season had started so badly, and you know what? Their their fans are. They've got. If you were ever big, a manager of my team, I'd be horrified. All right, they're on lukewarm seats, okay? But I definitely felt that Chris Armas and Frank De Boer were on pretty hot seats going into it. Now, I didn't think they should be fired based on this ad hoc tournament that was dreamed up very, very quickly, so quickly that they couldn't even get a good name. <laughs> But but here's my here's why I felt bad and I felt like there was ominous signs way before this tournament for Frank De Boer. Griffin Lale, uh, he sent us a DM for the mailbag. I'm going to read it now. Yeah. Either of you shocked by De Boer's firing? And is it unreasonable to look at his time in Atlanta as a fun experiment that was just never meant to be? Now, I'm not making fun of you, Griffin, but you've kind of stumbled on it there. It wasn't fun. That is the whole point. This uh, franchise, this whole buzz around the five stripes and everything they've done almost since that very first season has been about attacking, swashbuckling football. And Frank brought in a more professorial style, a slower tempo. Joseph Martinez not being in the, in the lineup, not good. Almiron leaving, not good. But you still have Copa Sudamerica, Copa Libertadores experience and some exciting South American talents in there in Barco and Pity Martinez. And he couldn't get it to work. And this is the team who is so, um, a franchise rather, that is really image conscious. They really understand that the stands are full because they're exciting. And they've been the most exciting team in the league for so long. And once that's gone and a manager's in that's not producing that, why are you keeping them? Why would you keep him? I suppose you're right. I mean, Darren Eel spoke to uh, Doug Roberson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He said, we want to be a top club and play in a way that's exciting, dynamic, and winning trophies. Like, they will not accept – we have, we now know they will not accept another style of play. This no. is what they are going to be, for better or for worse. And And the only reason I was at least a little bit conflicted on it – is because, okay, so they lost three games. They did not score a goal. That is obviously concerning. It's That's terrible. brutal. It, now, on the other side of it, like it's simply just not fair to, to, to not include in that the, the gigantic asterisk of the fact that they were missing Joseph Martinez. But then on the other side of it, you're like, well, you've kind of had months to prepare for that reality. It's not like he got hurt in training right before this tournament. He got hurt when the season began months ago. So, like... I don't want to give DeBoer too much of a pass on that because he should have been able to have his team prepared to play without him. 
But then, like, the other part of this that you keep going back and forth is, okay, well, let's look at the bigger picture with DeBoer and what he did there. They did win uh, the U.S. Open Cup, and they did win that Campiones Cup. But then on the other side of that, the Campiones Cup is only – it's a one-game scenario. And it was against against a Club America team that was still in their preseason. Um, And the U.S. Open Cup, I mean, we say this all the time. Not every cup run is is created equal. Look at the teams that Atlanta played in route to winning that tournament. Okay? Like, that's that's part of it. They beat two USL teams. And the MLS teams that they played, the best that they played was Minnesota United FC, who finished fourth in the West. No other MLS opponent of theirs even made the playoffs last season. So, like – You'd almost look at that set of opponents and say, well, if Atlanta didn't win it, it would have been an embarrassment. So, like, ultimately, like, I, I do feel like it's harsh to get rid of a manager so quickly, especially when he's missing his best player and, and the situation being as weird as it is with these guys playing in a tournament that was created overnight. But you kind of look at some of these things and you're like, well, all right, like, I, I'm kind of, I get it. And I'm kind of, kind of good with it. Um, there's only one manager that has to come in now. Atlanta have set out their stall. Their DNA is attacking, swashbuckling football. You score four, we'll score five. It's Kevin Keegan. Coach of Newcastle United's famous The Entertainers from 95-96. 12 points clear of United. You think he would do that? I, I know you're saying this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but like... I think if, if it was 10 years... If it was 10 years ago when he was a younger man, I think I think Kevin Keegan would be the man and Darren Eels would do it. He's an Englishman. He knows the sensibilities. It won't happen now. But I'm telling you, the next manager, whoever he is, they may go back to a South American manager, but it's going to be crash-bang-wallop exciting football. That is the demand. It's just funny how like the thin line of history... And just like how the balance can swing one way or another. Like Frank DeBoer's time at Atlanta will obviously not be remembered fondly. But just like go back, JJ, to last October. You know, Toronto and Atlanta in the Eastern Conference final to get to MLS Cup. Like Atlanta are there. They're in the final four. And they score in the fourth minute. And then just a few minutes later, they win a penalty. And Joseph Martinez has it saved. And then Toronto scored minutes after that and wound up winning on the De Leon goal 2-1. Like, Spe- if, speaking if, of Mar- if Martinez converts that penalty and they're up 2-0 after 10 minutes, they're not losing that game. I, I just uh, can't see it. Like, Andrew, speaking of, my, speaking of my kinks, was that not one of those little hopped penalties that he missed? Yes, I think, yes, it was. Yeah. Why do guys do it? Why do they Don't do know. it? Why do Don't know. Um, so, yeah, peace. Peace, Frank DeBoer. Uh, let's see a couple other stories, JJ. We did mention this at the top, but we should give it a little more mention now. Congratulations to the Houston Dash on their win in the NWSL Challenge Cup, uh, a team that had never made the playoffs. But now they go in and they do this. 2-0 is your final. They scored early and they scored late. Uh, Sophie Schmidt with a penalty in the fifth, and then Shea Groom uh, with a goal to seal it, uh, rounding the keeper in stoppage time. Alyssa Nair, no less. Yeah, right, yeah not just the a-, a keeper, the keeper. Uh, Rachel Daly named tournament MVP. Um, she talked at the end of this about how she was just like running on empty, um, that this took everything out of this team to get to this point. And she and- talked about the circle as what well, uh, this kind of circle um, where they couldn't be broken. Nobody had better heart or better togetherness than them. And I know it's easy to say that when you win, but they certainly did because I don't think anyone had them down as favorites when the tournament started. 
It was one of those finals, though. It's like a thousand degrees, and there's one team who are kind of, I suppose, I never at any point in this game thought Hughes or thought uh, Chicago would score. Just never. And uh, and so it turned out to be the case. And Chicago had a Sam Kerr sized hole in that front line. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you know, it's like Houston were all throughout. They talked about the style that they wanted to play was just like willing to to concede possession. That was not a statistic that they were ever going to be out to, to succeed in. And then kind of smash and grab. Like when they get their chances, convert, play on the counterattack, uh, and it carried them all the way through. And now they're they're champions of this. Uh, I guess of this season. And Daly's brilliant at that, Andrew. She's such a good passer of the ball. She can release her teammates. Like, you know, I think it, it was her pass that released Shea Groom as well. Yeah, I think it was. Um, but um, but Chicago looked short in ideas. I don't know how many times they hit like balls into the box, hoping Julie Ertz would crash one home. It was rudimentary stuff. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations to the Dash on their win in the Challenge Cup. Um one other note here before we get to the mailbag, JJ Killian and Mbappe suffered a sprained ankle. Uh, initially, it was it seemed like it was unsure as to what his status would be moving forward. They have now said that there was ligament damage that was sustained. Unbelievable. He's going to miss um, their Champions League matchup against Atalanta on August 12th, and his, uh, his situation beyond that is unknown. Well, I guess it depends how bad the sprain is. I reckon they will have him in the Wayne Rooney-style uh, World Cup 2006 oxygen tent oh, doing yeah. whatever doing whatever they can to get him back in the field but it's uh it's just been their luck and um yeah that's incredible bad luck for them you just wonder if this club like did they sign a deal with the devil um <laughs> you don't want me answering that question uh, I, like it's just funny like of all the clubs that like this con- this thing continues to happen to because it's them and because of you know just kind of like how they're built. Right. Nobody is nobody is any sympathy for them. It's just hilarious. <laughs> well, oh. I mean, hilarious, I don't know. I, look, I like Kylian Mbappe. I feel bad for him. I, I like Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, yeah, sure I do. <laughs> but um, The tournament is not better off with guys like him not playing in it. No. Uh, so, you know, you want the best players out there in this tournament, but it's just like it's always PSG. And it's isn't it funny too, JJ, how the thing about uh, PSG, so like all these other leagues are continuing. France is the one league that stopped play. We're not going to continue our league. So what's the one thing everyone is assuming going into the Champions League uh, as that gets ready to resume? Oh, well, well at least PSG will finally be healthy in, in Champions League play. And then these, they play like one game in the cup and he sprains his ankle and now he's going to miss the, the match against Atalanta and possibly the remainder of the season. It's just like, it's unbelievable. If you're a PSG fan... I mean, yeah, you're loving life because you're winning league titles every year. But as we've always said, this club and this ownership, they did not come in to win league titles and Coupe de France's. All right. They came in to win Champions Leagues. And it's it's not going to be easy. I mean, if you viewed them as one of the favorites before, if I'm telling you they don't have Kylian Mbappe, I don't know if you feel that way any further. Uh, so I saw that. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Unbelievable. Let's get to the mailbag before I say something that will have the march of the the dark army of PSG fans towards this it's podcast. sad. This is one of the marquee teams in the world and we can't talk about them because you can't trust yourself like that. That's just not right. You need to, I've been on the end of uh, PSG fanboys before. It's not fun. It would be professional as well. They're right. Uh, I don't know what they said. It was probably hateful and hurtful, but be professional. All right. 
We're going to do a mailbag? Yeah, yeah. The world Cutoffsidepod at gmail.com, at Pod on Twitter, Cutoffside ESPN on Instagram. Go and follow us there. And also leave us a review on iTunes. We had such a lovely review recently. I sent it to you. And uh, one part of the review says, it's great. This is a podcast, finally, that doesn't talk down to Americans. And I thought, no, we don't talk down to Americans, but I talk down to one American in particular. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, are you sure you're listening to the podcast? Because I feel talked down to on a weekly basis. Uh, Mahesh sends us a question. Uh, explain Jordan Henderson to me. And I'm going to need your help here, Andrew. Yeah. I'm completely missing the mystique. If possible, draw an NBA or NFL parallel. Love the pod. I'm an ER doctor from Texas, and you guys kept me going in my darkest days. Well, sir, you've kept everyone else going. And uh, oh please, all the, all the praise goes to you, Mahesh, not to uh, – don't worry about us. We're just buffoons who've got microphones. Um, so I do have a comparison. Well, let me, let me do it quickly, the mystique. Part, one thing that we glossed over when we were talking about Henderson earlier is he's English. Okay. He's the English captain of the Premier League champions. He is this kind of embodiment of the much maligned English player who has been, to many people, exposed by this influx of foreigners over the past 25, 30 years. And he's got this mystical story that he was nearly got rid of. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson criticized his running gait. He went to Liverpool. He struggled. He picked himself up and... There's an Englishman on the podium lifting the European Champions League and there's an Englishman on the podium lifting the Premier League. And that is the mystique that I think played a big part in in the football writers of England, the 400 or so who got to vote on this. All right. So then the award is for your favorite storyline of the season. It's not for the best player in the league because, again, he's he's just not. You can't possibly think that this doesn't influence people, Andrew. Come on. Uh, Well, you're right. it It must. There must be some reason he won. And, do your do your American comparison. So I was look, no comparison is going to be perfect here. But the one I was thinking of was like I was thinking of the 2004, I believe it was, uh, or 2005 Detroit Pistons, and when they beat the Lakers, like it, I guess I would say the comparison is Chauncey Billups, who like had he now this has not happened, but had he been named MVP of the league that season. But he wasn't like he may not have been the best player on his own team. Ben Wallace, Richard Hamilton, um, but Chauncey Billups was the unquestioned leader of the team that turned out to be the best team in the NBA, and he was a very good player. Uh, like Jordan Henderson is a very good player. Nobody would look at Jordan Henderson and say he's the best player in the league. Nobody looked at Chauncey Billups and said he was the best player in the league. But he was the leader of the best team. So that's really like, and again, it didn't actually happen. Had it happened. Um, that's one I could think of, but I, I don't know if I can actually think of an example. I think people here hold MVP just to its literal definition, and and we've seen now the FWA uh, do not. So there's, I think, our American brains are having a hard time, uh, like jiving with this decision. Um, Kent Clark, thoughts on Concacaf World Cup qualifying format announced today? So let me go through this quickly. Thank you to the great Doug McIntyre for um, making this very easy to understand. And and it is pretty easy to understand. 
And uh, you can give me your thoughts afterwards, Andrew. Under the new format, nations currently ranked 6 to 35 will be drawn into six groups of five in a seeded draw next month with El Salvador, Canada, Curaçao, Panama, Haiti, Trinidad and Tobago seeded. Each group will compete in a round, a single round robin of four matches per nation in this October and November 2020 window. Group winners will advance to a home and home total gold second round next March and the second round winners will advance to the octagonal and this is where we come in the top three teams in the octagonal qualify for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar and the fourth place nation advances to the intercontinental playoff in June 2022 that's it we don't get involved until the final round uh, of this it's important I mean you kind of just said it quickly American brains are very conditioned to know only one agonal and that is the hexagonal we no longer have the hexagonal. There's no more hex, people, at least for this qualification cycle. Right. It's eight teams that will be the octagonal, like you said, will be in that final round. And, and give it to the people one more time. How many get through automatically from that? From the uh, Hold on a sec. So um, how many people get through the, the second round, is it? Oh, no. To qualify, once you get to the oct, which is what the U.S. are already in, uh, who is it that's already qualified? It's the U.S. for the for the final round. U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, Honduras. Um, who am I forgetting? Oh, yeah, we're forgetting one team. Panama? Or did you say that they're a seeded team? Uh, oh, Jamaica. Jamaica. Excuse me. Yes, Jamaica's the other one. Uh, right. So three, the top three in the octagonal qualify automatically, and then the fourth go into a playoff. Yeah, so the top teams in the octagonal qualify directly for the 2022 World Cup, and the fourth place nation advances to the interna- intercontinental playoff in June 2022. But I think really the big point of this, Andrew, is that everybody else, the nations ranked six to 35, they've got a long way and lots of games to play, whereas we're kind of at the end point ourselves and Mexico and those other teams you mentioned. Straight, straight into the final round. Basically, um, is it so? Do I like it more than what the other system was? Uh, yes, in that it's not solely dependent on your FIFA World Ranking. Like you actually have the ability to play your way into uh, the World Cup, which is, I think, really how it should be. We've always talked about how the the FIFA World Rankings are are flawed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do like this more. I almost wonder if they'll if this if this is successful, if they'll just continue with this. I think the problem with it is, again, that the powerhouse teams are skipping the queue. Whereas in the old system, whether it was a formality or not at the beginning, you still had to go through the qualifying process. Uh, Mexico and the US in particular skip right the way to the end. But as we've seen, that may not be a guarantee of anything. Uh, Ryan Main, my friend, Victor and I have been huge fans of Wick- Wickham Wanderers since 2013 when, there were, when they were in League Two and wanted to support a team that wasn't one of the top sides. We decided on Wickham Wanderers due to their heritage and history of the club. During the start of the 2013-2014 campaign, we were thrilled to watch them escape, falling out of the Football League by finishing 22nd in the 13-14 campaign on the final day of the League Two season uh, with the Chair Boys nicknaming, the Choir Boys nicknaming it the Great Escape. After that, we were hooked. I've been a lifelong soccer fan, especially the Colorado Rapids, and have played soccer ever since 
I'm five years of age. My friend Victor hated soccer until I introduced him to Wickham through the popular video game FIFA. It led us to becoming loyal fans who always keep track of Wickham Wanderers, transfers and games. It even led him to being the best man at my wedding. I'm writing to you both on the chance of hopefully hearing you and JJ talk about Wickham earning promotion to the championship this year through the playoffs after only being promoted to League One after a 2017-2018 campaign. We were even favourites to be relegated and finish 23rd this season. This season, Hopefully our new US owner from New Orleans, Louisiana, I didn't know about that, will keep us on track and hopefully will keep us in the championship for years to come. Yeah, it's a, kind of an amazing story um, because they were supposed to go down and even when they played Oxford in the final... Oxford were like this passing team, this team with these amazing um, uh, passing ratings and stats in terms of chances created. And Wickham were like 17th in League One in terms of chances created, in terms of passing, in terms of passes completed. And yet they got it done on the final day. So um, so well done to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, their manager, uh, Gareth Ainsworth, is like a folk hero. Uh, he's like a rock Gareth Ainsworth. Star. He's uh, and he's also the answer to an incredible trivia question right now, which is who is currently the longest tenured manager of anybody in the top four rungs of English football? Gareth Ainsworth. Can you believe that? He's been their manager since 2012. Nobody anywhere has been a manager of their club longer. Is that that's uh, what was his name? Hard to believe. What what was his name at uh, Bristol City that recently left? I thought he would have been up there, but that's that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And he also looks like he should be in an 80s hair metal band. Well, well, he kind of is, right? He start, he's in a band, or he, I don't know if he still is or was, with two of his former teammates when he was at Wimbledon. Um, Get out. And they were in a band. Uh, I'll find the name of it while you're doing your next one. But yeah, he's like, oh yeah, he, like, he's, he looks the part because he is the part. Like He is a rock, a rock and roll guy. Did not know that. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Dave Rutoski. Hey, guys. As a Leeds fan, it has been a remarkable season for us. The, lo- the loss of Big Jack Charlton was tough, but I must thank JJ for his heartfelt expression of just what he meant to him personally. I was taking my morning run, and as my tradition, I listened to your podcast while doing so. No lie, JJ, I had tears running down my face my face whilst running through my neighborhood. Luckily, at 6 a.m., no one was around to see the strange sight. As your voice broke a bit, I lost it. Your words of loss and celebration of Charlton's life hit me hard and I appreciated them very much. Can't imagine anyone that meant so much to both England and Ireland. Neither can I. A rare man indeed. I'm sure he's looking down approvingly as his beloved Leeds United finally returned to the Premier League after 16 long years. Good Lord, I watched my Cubs win a World Series before it happened. But it happened, it did, and I've been giddy all day thinking about it. Of course, now I'm stressing out over how we're going to stay up, but I guess I need to relax and take it one step at a time. Thank you for letting me uh, take a few moments to share with you, gents. Keep up the great work. It's been a rough year as a healthcare worker, but I'm pretty sure I see light at the end of this tunnel. We'll make it there together. Thank you both for providing some fun and something familiar during trying times. Soccer talk has been my escape, and a Leeds year to remember has certainly buoyed the spirits as well. All the best. Dave, thank you so much for that, and um, thank you for everything you do as a healthcare worker. And strangely, I find Andrew to be a very dark and and horrifying figure that rarely fills me with hope, but I'm glad that you find both of us together a a shining beacon in this darkness. Am I supposed to respond to that? No, that was was way too harsh on you. I take it back. I should say, mentioning Leeds in the championship, uh, Cardiff uh, hosted Fulham in the first leg of their semifinal. Uh, Fulham won 2-0, so all the US Fulham fans will be very happy about that. And obviously in the... Coming in stoppage time, which... That's right, and that could be the key. Huge, yeah. Uh, 
uh, could be the key as they bring it uh, back to the cottage. And then Swansea and Brentford in the first leg of their tie yesterday, Andre Ayew scored a goal that's probably up there for the Puskas. Um, people should look that up. An amazing goal, amazing build-up, a chip back to him, and he volleys it into the top corner. So Swansea have a slender 1-0 lead as they go back to London and to Griffin Park, which um, will host the second leg of that on Wednesday at 2.45 p.m. So Wednesday, 7.29, 2.45 p.m. And Fulham will have the return leg against Cardiff on Thursday, seven, uh, which is the 30th of July, 2.45 p.m. as well in those kickoffs. Uh, by the way, I found it. I don't know if this is still the band that he was in with his former teammates, but the Cold-Blooded Hearts, Gareth Ainsworth, is uh, so wow. manager of Wickham, and he's also the lead singer of the Cold-Blooded Hearts. So look and he's in- Well, I'll find some of their music here for you. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, finally, Nicholas Welter, with the new Charlotte FC logo being released today, what do you think of it? I'm a bit of a logo fanatic, did a thesis on sports logos in college, and I think it's pretty okay. Not the best, but it's not terrible. It sort of continues with this circle trend that's going on in sports. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Nicholas, it's nice. I can't think of anything more bland. I I don't know what the crown represents. Maybe someone can tell me what the crown means. I'll say right now, Charlotte is the queen city. Okay. So that's it. And I believe the four dots on the crown represent the four wards of the city. All right. Good. Um, oh, wait, would you rather just continue to not know? Nope, that's good. Uh, and they have minted written on it, which... Uh, I think that has to do with their... Uh, so I, I was reading up on it. I'm not of sure. course you were, you nerd. Sure. <laughs> How dare you prepare for a podcast? Yeah, well, yeah, what about you? Um, but I think the minted is because of like Charlotte's like financial history. It's like a, it's a real financial epicenter um, with like financial companies and such. So Oh, great. So we've got royalty uh, and we've got um, finance in it. That's the... Uh, Two things that are not going to make me uh, love it too much. So there we go. That's the end of the mailbag. Bum, bum. And I suppose the end of the podcast as well. This was, a, this was a big one, as you would expect the final week of the Premier League season to be. Um, yeah, it's, it's over. But like it's funny. Uh, the, the new season starts September 12th, I think. Yeah, like, it does. We're going to be... <laughs> We're doing like so next week is the Devonlings, and then stay tuned because in two weeks our season preview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what you know, that's just a passage of time. What are we supposed to do about it? Like I was thinking, like, so Tottenham uh finishing sixth, they don't have to worry about Europa League qualifying. But had they finished seventh and then Chelsea won the Europa League, they would have qualified, or Chelsea won the FA Cup, if that happens, then Tottenham would have had to go through Europa League qualification. Like has that started already? Normally that starts in, in like early July. And now obviously this year is different, but like, I got to believe it's soon. Crazy. I can't wait for you to actually be drawn against Tavria Simferopol. That, that will happen. Like those are the teams that play in the Europa League. I get it. We know how this works. The way you're talking down on this competition, it's not a good look for you. You, will, you are the elitist punk that you claim to despise in this sport. You're, you're it. Look, at you. you need to do some real soul searching. The season's over. I think you need to think about all the things that you've done this year and how you can be a, a better person as we do this again next season. 
Oh, F- I'm looking up all the teams I mentioned earlier. FC Alania, Vladi Kavkaz. Ooh, they've got an amazing, amazing crest. Oh, I hope Ooh. everyone out there who thinks JJ is this man of the people, that soccer is for everyone. I, I hope you're listening to what he's doing right now. He does not no. believe it's for everyone. He wants this this league of this you know this European League of Titans. He's no. He's, that's what he is about. You know, no, I, catching a glimpse of the real guy. All right. I, I just got bored of your Tottenham talk in the middle of the podcast and decided to play a spoiler. I apologize. Uh, if you, you think I accept that apology, you're out of your mind. Uh, this was fun, man. We'll do it again uh, next week, of course. We'll have a lot of MLS's back stuff to talk about, the Vunlings, where we officially look back on the season. So uh, the season, the Premier League season may be over, but this podcast, as we always say, never, ever ends. Order the, sh- order the champagne, Andrew, and the canapes. Uh, the what? The canapes for the reception. What's a canapé? What's a canapé? Small little things that you eat at a reception before an award ceremony. I mean, unless you're talking about pigs in a blanket, I'm, <laughs> I'm lost. I'm sorry. You really are a brute. <laughs> hey, to you, I say. Check it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 